Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Rochelle. This podcast started as a space to really just share my journey, to share the experiences and the things that I was going through as I learned to self-regulate, as I learned to manage my emotions. And it has transformed into so much more. This space is really just everything that I trial and error. It's amazing guests coming to you, talking about their journey, their experiences with emotions, and really just take what resonates and leave what doesn't. This journey can feel really isolating at times. It is beautiful. It is painful. It is joyful. It is love. It is all of the things. And we are all of the things all at once. And so just have grace with yourself. Have compassion with yourself through this. And I am so grateful that you are listening to this episode wherever you are listening. Thank you for allowing me into your day. This week, I'm talking to Amber Cummings of Mental Health Rebels, and she shares her story about mental health, addiction, and she is so vulnerable in her story. And um, just a disclaimer, she does talk about suicide and severe mental health issues. So this is a trigger warning for this episode that we will be discussing suicide and um, issues like addiction and severe depression, anxiety all of the things. But yeah, Amber was just so beautiful in her ability to share this story, a story that is very deep and very dark. And the beauty of having moved through that and come to the space where she's at today, where she is guiding and helping others in this journey. Um, Amber is a mental mental freedom evangelist who promotes that we can naturally be mentally and emotionally healthy without needing pharmaceutical drugs. She spent 22 years heavily medicating herself for bipolar, major depression, and severe anxiety. And finally, she declared these drugs aren't working and began looking for real healing. That journey led her to energy work practices like yoga, mantra chanting, meditation, and breath work. And she did a major mindset makeover and learned to heal her nervous system through daily practices. And eventually she was able to detox off her med cocktails and live mentally free. Now she no longer identifies as having any type of mental illness. Um, she's a corporate world escapee who lives in Mexico City where she leads curtains and makes magic for clients. Her mission is to promote that this is the type of healing that is possible and mental health diagnoses or prescriptions is not a life sentence and that we have the power to heal our bodies, minds, and souls and that mental freedom is our birthright. And I love this so much. And we talk a lot about, you know, patternings that we take on from our parents, um, labels that we take on from our parents and we just take it on as our own, right? It's like if you are told something enough times, you just believe that that's free, that's, that's true, right? Especially from a young age, that that zero to seven window is really crucial in our development. And so when we're told that we are just a certain way, when we're told by a doctor that we trust that we have bipolar disease or we have depression or we have anxiety and we need to take these medications to survive. And, you know, of course, like I feel like there is a, there is a place for it, right? You can do this work and be on med- medication if that's what you need. But it's also doing the work, right, to come to a space where you can self-regulate and have all of these extra tools that will really help you align energetically and cleanse yourself and working on your diet and all these other pieces, you know, involved, included as well, can really help you to move past that. Um, So yeah, this is just a really vulnerable, really powerful conversation that I'm excited for you all to hear. And this week, this week for me, so I'm on day about to be on day three of an ice storm that has kept that has literally shut down Dallas pretty much. So uh, I did. um, Yeah, so kids are going a little bit crazy. I'm 
just taking this time to it's funny because I was literally having a conversation and I was just so enjoying over the last few months, I've specifically taken certain days during the week off for myself so that I can do things for my business so that I can do things for myself. And it's really showed me the structure of what I want when I am fully working for myself. And so it's been really nice and really freeing. And I was like, I need more time for myself. And then this happened. So it's like I'm manifesting this time, although the kids are home. So it's a little bit harder to like get things done. But it's just the fact of like taking the time for myself and but also like being in my house and not really being able to go outside is a little bit um, just like noticing the chaos that is my house when my kids are home and throwing things and just kind of trying to keep coming back to myself and centering and being like, it's okay. It's a day off for everybody. Let them make a mess of stuff and we will figured out like tomorrow get back to routine but then I also noticed you know like the not working out because I have that set into a very specific routine so it's like being able to shift and flow with life and how it comes up and you know this week wasn't expected so now tomorrow it's like okay now I've had two days to like read and watch tv with them and you know do all those things and now tomorrow it's like okay I gotta clean I gotta move my body I gotta get back to all the practices that I know like keep me aligned and keep me center and keep me present because the end of tonight I found myself getting some fresh a little frustrated and frustration is that you know generator not self theme and so yeah it's also really interesting I've been really aligning and embodying and integrating so much of like human design and astrology on like a deeper level. And so I'm really excited to share some of that. I think next episode, next week episode is going to be a little bit about just finding your purpose and in in um, in human design and astrology. And it's not like your purpose isn't like, this is what you're supposed to do, right? It's like that energy, the energy of it and how you can apply it and how you can move through it and how you can decondition it and how you can begin that process of like asking yourself what you need and working through the shadows and coming into alignment with yourself so that you can show up in the way that you are designed to and all that stuff, right? Because it's been a really beautiful process. And I'm just like not focused so much on the textbook definitions of things, right? I'm coming into myself and trusting myself and working on, I'm part of a, a, a small group where it's like energetic and intuitive uh, psychic development. And so I'm really honing those skills of like coming to myself in meditation. And it's like, what is the sessions that I've had over the past couple of weeks? I'm just like, I'm sitting with it. I'm sitting with the energy of what I'm seeing on the charts before I really dive into the information, right? And I'm downloading messages. And it's just a very like intuitive practice towards it. And it feels so good and so aligned and just like, yeah, really incredible. So it's just like lighting me up and I'm feeling so excited for it and just like kind of getting into that deeper meditative practice that I've been craving, but yet was sort of resistant to and I still sort of feel a little bit of resistance to it because it's like sitting for 30 minutes like ah my my defined ajna is just like nope (laughs) we're not doing it like we want to think and so it's like having compassion for that side of myself but then like I'm noticing for me doing active meditation practices where I'm visualizing my breath coming in and out or like doing um, pranayamas or you know pulling in energy up through my chakras or going through my different layers my fields you know my physical emotional mental spiritual fields layers bodies right i kind of doing like a more active meditation because it allows me to connect in with myself and then i feel like then after i've run my energy through that 
it kind of allows me to come back to that stillness a little bit. So I feel like I'm ending in like more of a, a still and silent place. And then when I'm there, I'm now connecting to like this week, I've been connecting to Jupiter, specifically to Jupiter. And the information I've been receiving is really beautiful. And it is a practice of getting out of the mind because it's like, as I connect to these planets energetically, it's like, I have all these keywords that I've learned from the books, right? Like Mars is aggression, war, sexuality, assertion, all these things. So it's like, I'm trying to come to this neutral space where I know within myself is my meditative space where I'm connected to myself and then being able to pull in the energy. Like when I tapped into Jupiter for the first time, I just saw this really bright light and it was just like pulsating. It was really slow and really soft, but firm and strong. And it was pulsating. It was like, as it was going out, it was expanding, right? As it was expanding, it was taking things in. And as it was contracting, it was also pulling things in. So it was like engulfing and then sucking in. And it's like, it and it's it was like a breath, right? And and so it was just a really beautiful experience. It was just felt like really, really rich and deep. And it felt like it held all this like ancient wisdom, right? It was like storing it for us until we're ready to receive it. And so it was like a really big key to our consciousness. And that's what I received. And, you know, it's easy to like go look things up and then allow what external factors to make you doubt what's going on in your mind. And I'm making a point not to do that because I want to be able to just like trust what's coming through for me and trust and know that like my messages that I'm receiving are true for me, right? And that they can be shared and they will resonate with people and and all of the things and maybe not even resonate with people and being okay with that too, right? Um, so anyway, it's just been a beautiful practice, beautiful practice. Um, the self, which I launched back in I think it was August, August or September. I am relaunching it now. It will begin February 15th. I'm going to put a sign-up form below, and it's just um, to get more information. Um, so you just put your email, your name, what you're looking for, and then your human design or your astrology information, your birth information, so I can pull your your design. So it's sort of like a to get on the list for, for the program. It begins February 15th, and then, of course, like you will know if you're in – within that week, because um, now we're like two weeks away. But I'm really excited for that. And it's sort of, it, it, we go through intention settings and goal settings. And the whole purpose is to come to yourself, right? To come to that space where you trust you. And I don't ever want to tell people how they should be, right? It's it's finding it yourself because you are so powerful. And when you can connect with your body, you know, we go through body. We go through, you know, to understand like the things that we're putting in our body, understanding if it's working for us and if it's not, and then coming to that space, like your human design, like does it feel right? Like tapping into that before you consume some consume something to really tap into like what you want and what you need. And we go through shadow work and human design, attachment theory, and it's a seven week program. Um, and then the in the middle we have like a week for integration, Q and A, and all the information. There'll be weekly videos that will be dropped in the portal that will be a lifetime access and all the things. So I'm really excited for this program. Again, that little link is going to be down below. So you can sign up for the for the list on the list. And then I will email you information. Um, and then I do one-on-one sessions. So we can do a single one-on-one session, which is, it's deeper than just human design. So it's it's it feels kind of weird for me now to say human design, but it's deeper than human design, but we can do a one-off one-on-one session um, or a single session rather, or the HD attached with which is a 12-week program all the information is down the show notes um i'm really excited for all these offerings and it just feels so right and so aligned and i'm so lit up by it and just yeah the feedback and the feelings and the clients have been just so incredible lately so i'm really excited to work with you um and yeah again all the information is down the show notes and i will move on to the episode now. So I thank you so much for listening wherever you are listening. Um, 
yeah, just I appreciate you so much. So, so much. I literally journal every single morning. Like I'm so grateful for the podcast and I'm so grateful for you guys every single morning. Like it just lights me up that I get to do this every single week. So I thank you so much. Welcome to the Emotional Mastery Podcast. Today, I have Amber Cummings, who has a pretty incredible story. She was on mental health medication for 22 years, healed herself, got herself off of these medications, and really just, yeah, I'm I'm so fascinated by your story because I think it's, you know, something a lot of people are not educated about, right? We're handed a pill and we just think that is supposed to solve it. And when it doesn't, we think there's something wrong with us. And so I'm going to give you the floor now to just share your story, you know, where you started, where you are now and everything, you know, pivot along the way that kind of got you here. And then we'll go from there. Awesome. That sounds great. And please, if you have questions as I'm chatting and telling this story, just let me know. Um, and I'm happy to, to stop and pause and dig into things. Um, every time I tell my story, it like comes out a little bit different. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so when I was 12 years old, I, had anorexia. I stopped eating, which actually is very common for children who live in super controlled families. I had a very controlling mother and father. I was raised in like a staunchly Christian home where there were a lot of no's and uh, I was always sort of trying to contort myself to to fit into in this box and be accepted and, and be what my parents wanted me to be. And so it's not really surprising that I had problems and I began acting out at the age of 12. But instead of being able to deal with those problems, I got sent to the psychiatrist, the psychologist, and I was told you have inherited the family crazy. Um, And up until that point, like it wasn't something that had been spoken about in my family. And I remember very vividly, you know, I started acting out trying to to get attention and and like cry for help. Um, And I remember my mother um, just weeping in my closet and and saying, I had a chair in my closet. That's why I was in the closet. I had like this walk-in closet that I made into this sort of little cove. And she, she was just like, this was my worst nightmare. It was my worst nightmare that my children would also end up with mental health illness because my mother had been horribly abused when she was a child. And her mother, my grandmother, was like a textbook case of bipolar. Um, so I was diagnosed at 12 years old with bipolar disorder, anxiety, and depression. And, you know, my mom had received some relief from antidepressants. And so she was just all on board for me taking them. And and when I was a kid, like if I had a bad day, my mom would hand me Klonopin like it was candy. <laughs> so I just, I, I grew up like thinking that is the way that you deal with these problems. But I also had a really poor example from my family of how to be managing my own self. And, and as I've gotten older, like it's, it's been a huge journey to unpack these things. But like my mom, because she was a victim of of abuse. She had PTSD and things would trigger her and she would freak out. And like one day, you know, you drop a glass of water on the floor and it was like, oh, it's no problem. It's just water. And then the next day it was like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. I can't handle anything else. Go to your room. Don't come out. Right. And so I was always on hyper alert. I was hyper aware. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was trying to like be aware of, you know, my caretakers. And then I didn't know how to handle crisis like a normal person. Like when something happened with me, it was like, oh, well, you're supposed to stuff it down and act like everything's fine until you freak out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so 
like getting that training and then going on and living in my adult life, like I acted like a crazy person, but I had crazy person training. Um, so I, I really lived out that destiny of like, you have severe mental health disorder. And, and I, I just believed that for me, it was a life sentence. And, um, I had an interesting life. I like lived in multiple countries. I lived in Spain for a while and then I got married and had a, a marriage that fell apart and I moved to Argentina and spent a few years there and like all these adventures, but it was always just very tumultuous and chaotic and I had really messy relationships and and I finally, when I, when I moved to San Francisco, um, I was like late twenties, early thirties was living in San Francisco and Oakland. That was when things got really bad. Like I started dating someone who also had his own, you know, set, set of issues that he came in with. And it ended up, our crazies were really amplified. I think we, we really amplified one another in our dysfunction and, um, it ended up being like a, an emotionally abusive relationship. He drank a lot. I started drinking a lot. I became an alcoholic. Like I do not think in, in 2014, I don't think that there was a day that I didn't drink like, and I was sort of a functional alcoholic. Like I would drink like a bottle of wine every day, but I could still show up to work every day, you know? And so I was kind of in this, this really dark spiral. And I was taking a whole cocktail of drugs and like I was always going on and off trying to find the right mix. And it was never, ever like no one ever said to me, oh, Amber, like, let's figure out how to get you permanently healthy. It was always like, how can we manage your mental health illness? Like that was the goal. Like there's never a cure. No, there, there was never any suggestion that I could get cured. It was always like, we just have to manage you. And, and actually arriving at a place where I had like accepted my mental health issues and was managing them like that actually felt like an achievement for me at one point in time. Um, so I, in like, oh gosh, 2014 to 2016, like it got really bad that there were days where I got, I, I had to go off of out of work on mental health disability. I like could no longer really perform. I knelt in the street screaming. The police had to come and get me. I was hospitalized multiple times and I ended up having two suicide attempts where I took tons and tons of pills. Um, the first one I took like three bottles of pills and then the second suicide attempt, I took four bottles of pills. And in that second suicide attempt, I was completely unconscious for 48 hours. It's an absolute miracle that I, I woke up. I took like an entire bottle of Clonopin <laughs> and, um, along with, um, Vibrid and sleeping pills. And I, gosh, I can't even remember the, what the fourth one was, I think an antidepressant. And I, I remember doing it too. Like, like I had been drinking, of course, and I spread all of the pills out on the ground and just like ate handfuls of pills and drank them down with, with wine. You know, um, I was also a smoker at this point. Like my system was so toxic and I was just in such a state. Um, I have like really deep compassion for, people who are experiencing like heavy duty psychotic episodes, because it's real. I mean, like when you're there that deep down, it's, it's a dark, uh, it, it just feels like a big dark abyss. Um, 
after that suicide attempt, I woke up and I had a big cut on my eye and I must have, like, I wasn't, I don't remember what happened, but I must've like gotten up at some point and fallen and hit my head and like probably had whiplash. And then I was laying unconscious for a long time and I probably had serotonin syndrome. So I was like convulsing and I hurt my shoulder somehow, like my shoulder muscles stopped working together and it was called scapular dyskinesia. It was a terrible injury. I pretty much lost the use of my shoulder for like probably about nine months. And um, then about a month after that, I had a hip surgery. I'd been dealing with hip issues. And so between the surgery and my shoulder, I basically lost the use of the left side of my body for about nine months. And that was my lowest of low points. And because I had hurt myself in the suicide, I was like, well, I can't keep trying to kill myself because I could end up permanently dis disabled. And I began reading statistics about suicides and actually taking pills is not very effective at all. Only like 11% of people who take pills to try and kill themselves succeed. And if you really want to kill yourself, I mean, the you have to like shoot yourself in the head. I mean, otherwise there's, there's just a super high possibility that a suicide will be not successful and that you can be severely injured. And I didn't have a gun. I didn't know how to shoot a gun. And uh, thankfully, like I never did that, but I was very suicidal. Like it was something that I was thinking about every single day, practically constantly. And I, I, um, I ended up in this place where I was like, I felt trapped in life. Like how, I just, I can't kill myself, but I don't want to be here. And my mantra that I just was repeating in my head was like, if this is my life, I don't want to live. Um, and it finally reached this point where I was like, you know, I, I just tried to kill myself twice on these meds. Like they're obviously not working. I've been taking these meds for like, at this point it had been like 18 years or something. And like, I'm not fixed. I just keep seeming to get worse and worse and worse. And I tried talking to my doctor about it. I was like, I don't think that it was Vibrit that I was taking. I don't think that the Vibrit's working for me. And he's like, well, we've tried so many things with you and you seem to tolerate it. Okay. Why don't you give it a little longer? And I was like, mm, something is wrong here. And I also just had this feeling like this is too unsustainable. Like I cannot continue being this miserable. And so I actually tapered off of my antidepressant at that point and started trying to work with somebody to do like vitamin therapy, which ultimately wasn't successful. I went back on antidepressants like a, a few months later. But I think that was the, the shift where I got really disillusioned. Like I started being like, there has to be something more. And it was when this searching began. And, you know, those who seek shall find. And it, it was like something after that suicide attempt, something in me really did shift. Um, I started trying to do things to just take care of myself. And I was, I, I began this program called 30 days to thrive. It was a commitment to do yoga and meditation every single day for 30 days at a yoga studio. And this was January something, 2017. And, uh, I had been doing yoga for years, but always like, I liked like the hardcore yoga. I've always liked to work out, um, which I actually think is one of the things that like has saved me <laughs> through my life <gasps> with all the other problems. At least I was going to the gym. Um, <laughs> I feel so, that. <laughs> yeah. So I started this, this yoga program and it was a commitment to do yoga and meditate for at least five minutes every day. 
And I had never meditated before. And because of all of my body problems, like I was just starting to get the use of my body back and I couldn't do heavy duty yoga. So I was going to these like super calm, relaxing, restorative yoga classes. And uh, at the same time, I had found this old box of journals in my closet and I decided to reread them. And I don't remember why I did that, but I had like 18 books that I had written through my whole life. And I was just appalled at my own self. Like in all of these books, my, my internal voice was just like, Amber, you're worthless. I hate you. I wish I could escape you. I want to crawl out of my skin. You don't deserve to be alive. Like over and over just pages and pages of this talk. And I was like, wow, my whole life, I've been talking to myself like this. And then that was contrasted with these yoga classes where I'd go and they'd be like talking about love and self-love and, you know, (laughs) compassion. And there was one day I was in this restorative yoga class, like curled up on the floor in the dark with my bolster. And the, the woman said, do you think that in this moment you could just give yourself a little compassion? And I lost it. I just began to weep. It was like that was the day that the message of self-love finally hit me in my heart. And I couldn't stop crying through the whole class. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to cry quietly. And then I get in my car and I, you know, I'm sobbing. And I got home that day and I knelt in front of the mirror and I was like, Amber, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've hated you all of my life. I've been awful to you. I hated you so much that I tried to kill you. Like I, this is unsustainable. Like I'm the only person in my life. I was single. It was just me with this horrible voice inside of my head. Like, of course I wasn't thriving. And I made a commitment that day. I was like, I promise that from now on, I'm going to start being nice to you and take care of you. And Rochelle, that that was the start of my healing journey. Like Mm -hmm. that day changed my life because if you're taking care of yourself, you can't stay up until 2 a.m. drinking bottles of wine and smoking on the couch. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't align. And if you're taking care of yourself, well, you can't be letting your job abuse you and have, you know, letting men abuse you and letting, you know, I, I think there's just so many behaviors that once I started being like, I'm being good to myself, I had to alter them. And I had felt like such a victim that I was a victim of life and poor me. And I finally was just like, no, you know what? This is my life. It is really a big giant mess, but I'm going to start trying to do what I can with what I've got here. And I began doing little things that were kind of beautiful. Like I started a Spanish language book club. Um, and that was really amazing. Um, I, like to, to read a book in Spanish, people have to have a pretty high level of, of language. So everyone was expats. It was like people from Cuba and people from Spain and Argentina and Mexico. And like, I began having all of these really inspiring people coming into my life. Um, and like, now I'm talking to you from Mexico city. I mean, that actually was part of the, the inspiration for me to eventually say like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> and I started getting like little by little better. Like 2017, I I was just slowly gaining strength and, and starting to take care of myself. And I really had to deal with my alcoholism. I started trying to drink less. Um, and in May of 2018, I decided like, I just felt like I had been banging my head against a brick wall. Like I had been trying and trying to make Oakland work for me. I was working in downtown SF and living in Oakland and I had not had really success with 
relationships, like on a romantic nor a friendship level. And it was like everything in my life looked good on the outside. Like I had a little commuter car and I made enough money and I, you know, had my, you know, good looking office job. I worked at a well-known like large company and blah, blah, blah. But it felt so empty. It was like, I just, I felt like I wanted to live with more heart and soul and prioritize relationships and experiences above material things. So I tore down my whole life and sold everything. And that was really tough for me. Like it wasn't a triumphant thing. Like for me, it felt kind of like I failed. Um, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I went to Bali for a yoga teacher training and I don't know, it, it was probably not a great idea. Like what I needed at that point in time was to rest, but instead I joined this intensive yoga teacher training where we were like doing intense yoga for 10 hours a day and then had homework on top of that. And I just crumbled. Like I couldn't do it. I started having these crazy panic attacks in the morning and I couldn't breathe. I was taking Wellbutrin at that point and I actually feel like Wellbutrin really contributed to my, my panic attacks because it's kind of an upper antidepressant. Um, and I, but I also started having like visions where I was seeing energy and lights and like goddesses and these crazy dreams. Like I dreamt about someone that I had dated years before and wrote him a message on, on Facebook, I think at that time. And he was there in Bali, like two blocks away from me. And it wow. was just like really weird things started happening. Um, but I ended up dropping out of that yoga teacher training. I just couldn't do it anymore. And, um, I spent like, I spent like two weeks just crying alone in the jungle and that's what I needed to do. But the really amazing thing is I started chanting mantras in one of our yoga classes. I learned about mantras and I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I like went back to my room and began chanting and it just felt good. It was like things were moving. And so that became my personal practice. I got really fascinated. I began like reading books about goddesses and learning all of these different mantras. And like every night before bed, I have a hapa mala, um, like the, the chanting beads. And mm -hmm. I would do a hundred and eight chants to whatever deity I was working with. And after Bali, I came to Mexico city and I like my experience in Bali was just so all over the place. Like it was very transcendental and amazing, but then also like kind of awful. And, you know, it just felt like a big mess. And I went into this Google hole where I Googled how to know if you've had a spiritual awakening. <laughs> and I go into this like black internet hole and there's this guy in one of the videos and he has like his dreadlocks. And he's like, well, if you've had a spiritual awakening, you should get a transpersonal psychologist. And I was like, oh, well, I've been in therapy my whole life, but I've never been to a transpersonal psychologist. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, transpersonal psychologists work on both the emotional, physical, and spiritual level. So I found a transpersonal psychologist and she's an amazing shaman who has trained all over the world. And I had no idea who she was. It was just like, I landed in the office of this really spectacular human, just kind of, um, by miracle, I would say. And she began saying like, Amber, you know, you've done a lot of work. Are you sure you need to be taking all of these meds? And I was like, what? No one had ever said to me that, that it was a possibility to go off my meds. She was like, no, I think you should stop taking your meds. I'm like, what? It was like someone had said to me, hey, tomorrow let's go to the moon. I was like, 
really? But she kept pushing, like she kept pushing on this. And I'm so grateful. Like, I do not think that if I had stayed in the United States, there's any way I would have ever gotten off drugs. I I think that I would have been medicated for life. Like I had to leave my country and go to Mexico and have a shaman be like, come on, you can do it in order to take the leap. And so after some pushing from her, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And at that point in time, I was taking Wellbutrin, which is an antidepressant. I was taking Lamictal, which is a mood stabilizer. And I was taking Clonopin. And I had been taking Clonopin daily for 18 years. It's a benzo, like it's a pretty heavy duty med and known to be highly addictive, known to be really difficult to detox off of. I didn't dare at this point speak to my psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, I, I was just like, I'm just going to do this under the radar. So I made my own taper plan. And my experience had always been like, doctors would be like, oh, we're going to switch your meds. So just taper over a couple weeks. Like I'd never had anyone do a taper that was longer than four weeks. Like it was always like two to four weeks, you know, just taper down slowly and you're off. So I made myself a taper plan that was like six weeks long, which it should have been six months long. I like knowing what I know now, it, or longer. I mean, clonopin, it can take people to not have horrible side effects and withdrawal from clonopin. It can take years to detox off of it, but I just didn't know any better. So I like dropped my meds pretty fast. And January of 2018, I like went off all the meds and it was so intense and awful. I felt terrible. There's like the acute withdrawal that happens immediately because your body, basically when you're taking these meds, it like shuts down your nerve cells so that the the neurotransmitters aren't working and moving around correctly. So my nerve cells opened up and like all the neurotransmitters got sucked up. And that's why people have like seizures and stuff when, when they have really acute withdrawal, because there's an overstimulation. Um, And so I like didn't sleep at all. Like when I say I didn't sleep, I mean zero sleep for two weeks. I was shaking. I was so dizzy. It was dangerous for me to even be walking around the house. I fell down a flight of stairs and hurt my wrist and just, it was really intense for the first couple weeks. And then it was like, all of that, all of the neurotransmitters had been sucked up and my, my brain chemistry wasn't working correctly. So I entered what's called the protracted withdrawal phase. And that's when your body's like trying to reestablish itself. But I didn't have neurotransmitters. My brain wasn't functioning. And I fell into this horrible depression. I felt super suicidal. My bones hurt. My muscles hurt. I could barely get out of bed. All my work dried up at the same time, which is just very interesting how life works. Um, I, and I made some mistakes. So like, maybe it was, I just got fired and didn't realize it, but <laughs> cause I was doing client work at the time. Um, but it was intense. I I'd say the first like three, four months were really, really difficult. And then I started to kind of stabilize a little bit and like, I launched a marketing company in order to pay my bills. And I like got a co-working and just started showing up there. And I, for a while, a long time, I would like drag myself out of bed and make it to the co-working and I might be able to work for an hour or two hours and then I'd have to go back home and rest. And that was the best that I could do. Um, but little by little, I, I made it through that. And around nine months, I started feeling pretty decent, like six to nine months. I started feeling like myself again. And I was like, Oh my God, well, I'm fine. 
And what had happened is all of those years that I had been doing yoga and meditation and especially chanting, like for me, chanting is an active form of meditation. And so like every night I was kneeling down on the ground and chanting these mantras and like praying and spending time communing with the divine. And I had learned how to regulate my nervous system, which I didn't realize that I was doing that. But like when I came out the other side, I was really totally fine and like quite better than I had ever been in my life. I started sleeping for the first time in my life, which was just a miracle. I'd always struggled to sleep. And like now I sleep. It's so delicious. <laughs> and um, I felt like I had access to my creativity and who I was and just a deeper connection on a spiritual level and with friends. And it was like, but I also was upset. Like, you know, that movie, um, with Jim Carrey where he is in, what is it? The Truman Show. Mm -hmm. And he's like living in this, this caged world, essentially. He's mm -hmm. in like, that's how I felt all of my life. I had been told that I had these incurable mental health illness, mental health diseases, and that I needed medication in order to function. And it was a fucking lie. That was so not true. There was never anything wrong with me. Um, and so I also felt indignant and angry. And after that, I decided to write a book about my life. And so I quit like half of my clients in 2020, I started writing this book and it, I just so happened to move as well. And I was in an empty house and all I had was like a lounge chair and a couple house plants. Like I didn't even have forks. And I'm like, I'm going to write this book about my life story. I had also joined this year long shamanism training program. It's like shamanism and transpersonal therapy, which is super interesting. And, uh, COVID hits. And so I spent all of COVID. It wasn't just an empty house. It was an empty building. I was the first person to live in an apartment in that building. And it was a disaster. Like everything that could go wrong in a building, it went wrong. Like my gas was going out, my electricity was going out. And like, like trying to write about my life in isolation. And it was, I was like, oh, I'm doing this for other people. But no, it was a super shadow work, deep dive into my own life because it's one thing to, to have this story and it's another thing to then try and explain it. And I had to like unpack what had happened and how I became the crazy person that I was for all of those years. Like, how did I get there? Um, and I started making all of these connections with my childhood, like with the way that I was raised and then the way that I later acted out and behaved and, and the programming that I had. And it was just, it was good. I feel like I finally started pulling apart my programming and, you know, I disassociated and took meds and like ran away from my problems for all of those years, for decades. I kind of had to do something really intense, like writing a book in isolation <laughs> in order to, um, to, to do the healing work that I needed to do. So that was an intense period. And I eventually decided like I couldn't publish the book yet because I, I got like halfway through it. I was like, how can I just write this book? Like what, what, am, what's my end going to be? I got off meds and then I spent nine months torturing myself writing this book for you. The end, like that's, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to go live some life and see who I am with all these meds. So I met this guy at a ayahuasca ceremony, actually, and he also chanted mantras and we began doing these kirtan events together. And it was this very like transcendental, beautiful relationship in some ways, you know, everything was like in the spiritual realm, but 
honestly, on a practical level, it wasn't working out very well. <laughs> and we broke up after a couple months. Um, and I realized I was pregnant. And so I, I got back together with him and it was, it was a struggle of a relationship and I ended up losing the baby right about three months. And that was so tragic. Like I had always wanted to be a mother and I mean, feeling alone and like I was going to be alone the rest of my life was one of the big things that I bemoaned in my deep depressed states. Um, and three days after I lost the baby, my partner walked out on me and it was just, it was just like so much loss, but that experience, like it took me a while to process it. You know, I did things so different instead of drowning myself in wine. Oh, I didn't, I didn't mention this, but in 2020, I also stopped drinking completely, like a hundred percent dry. So at this point I hadn't been drinking for, you know, a year and a half or something. And so I like prayed. I cried. I spent time with friends. I sang mantras. I had a group of friends who did a healing ceremony and like laid their hands on my body and sent me healing energy. I did a womb clearing, like these beautiful kind of shamanic, um, like soul healing activities that I, I really did everything. I practiced what I, I now am preaching, you know, about, about energy work as being so powerful and that was the event that helped me see that I am really profoundly changed and transformed because when life's giving you roses, like it's easy to be like, yes, I'm a luminous yogi who chants mantras, but it's when things really fall apart that you see what you're made of. And I was really amazed to discover, like, I am a totally transformed person and Amber, my, my Amber in 2016 would have, I don't know, just totally crumbled. So that was when I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I need to talk about all of this stuff. Like I'm ready. I am ready to share with other people. So last year I once again <laughs> quit my marketing work and began the process of launching a company. And so now I have a company called mental health rebels and I'm talking about, mental health and I'm talking about medication and the fact that that's not a real solution. And what I really believe, um, we have therapy, which is great, but that's all in the mental realm. And then we have these psych meds and like, maybe they can work, maybe they can help in a total crisis, but they don't really solve any of the root problems of mental illness. What I think and feel that we are missing are energetic practices to move energy through our body. And so I talk a lot about energy work and I just found it all to be so healing for me. And when, when I say energy work, I'm talking about things like chanting mantras, meditating, yoga, breath work, EFT tapping, like Mantras for me were the thing that were, were so healing, but I think there's a lot of different paths that people can come at it from. And I, I find when I talk to other people like yourself, for example, that's how other people are really doing the healing work as well. Um, I feel like that's the, the missing link. And so that's what I want to share with people. So that's my story. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing it. It's just, I got goosebumps like multiple times in that story. And I think it is a powerful message because I personally, I don't, I haven't followed the path of medication. It, you know, my mom was like, we don't take drugs, it, but it was more of like, I feel like just that we have to be strong. We don't talk about our emotions, but we're fine kind of thing. Right. So I never really went to therapy. I never really did any of those things. I 
even now I don't really even take Advil or anything, you know, just, just that that was the way I was raised. But, you know, I do understand. And, and, you know, with you, and it sounds like with your mom, right. It was like, her intention was well, right. Like Mm -hmm. it sounds like that's kind of what she was shown that what she felt helped her. And so she was trying to do that for you. But there is, I think it, especially in our culture, we are so disconnected with our body. And the only thing like, you know, I was on birth control for 20 years and I recently stopped in February and it seems like a little thing, but the, the change and the way I can connect with my body, like completely shifted. I'm mm-hmm. like so much more in tune myself. And, and because of that, it allows me to deepen my spirituality, right? Cause now I can actually tune into myself. Like I, I've been trying to taper off alcohol since 2020. I knew, I know it doesn't have a place in my life. I am. I go through like last summer, I gave it up for three months. And then I kind of, I'm a bartender during the day. So sometimes I have to taste things. And it was like, I was starting a new job bartending. So I had to taste all the wines. And then of course, trying to meet new people, everyone's like, well, let's go for wine. And after like sipping like a a glass, you know, combined, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then just kind of, but I'm back on now not drinking. And just, I always, it's like, why do I do that to myself? Right. Cause it's like, we use that to, to, not even heal, but I think, you know, I don't know, in hindsight, in some of the relationships, relationships I've been in, like say abusive relationships, right. Alcohol, I'm not saying do it, but for me, it helped me sleep. Right. It helped me just like kind of numb out from the situation that I was in. No, it wasn't a solution. It really in the big picture did not help, you know, but like, I feel like it in a sense, it helped me get through the day at the time it was, you know what I mean? If that makes any sense, but I, (laughs) what you're saying is actually really important because one of the things that we get trapped in is feeling bad about ourselves. Like, Oh my God, I'm such a disaster. I can't Mm. believe myself. I just drink another, whatever I did this or that. I think in order to actually make a big change and detox off meds or, or decide to quit drinking or deal with any kind of addiction or bad behavior, even if that's overeating, even if it's that you eat too much sugar, it's that we have to recognize that we didn't start doing that for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's not because I'm an idiot. Like I'm not, I, I wasn't doing those behaviors because there was something wrong with me or I had no self-control or whatever. It's because on a subconscious level, we're always trying to take care of ourselves and protect Mm -hmm. ourselves. So we develop these bad habits and I'm putting like air quotes, bad habits because they serve a function and they actually are helping us. And I don't think that we can just cold Turkey quit any bad habit. We need to replace it with some sort of you know, healthier or like upgraded mm-hmm. <laughs> helping mm-hmm. solution that actually serves the same purpose. And that, in my opinion, is the only way that we can deal with addictions and, and all of these things, because I don't think it works to be like, that's it. I'm just never eating sugar again, because now it's like an exercise in self-will. Mm-hmm. And that's so good. But if you recognize, well, every time that I'm eating giant slices of cake, it's because I feel super lonely and sad and depressed. Like, okay, so if that's the issue, well, maybe instead of eating cake, you need to call someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there needs to be mm-hmm. some sort of replacement. So like what you're saying makes absolute sense that, that you, and I mean, there's, everything's fuzzy, right? Like, of course there's the bad alcohol or like the, the destructive alcohol behavior mm-hmm. associating. But then I also think that sometimes it is just a social thing and it's like whatever B's doing and you kind of get caught in the loop and whatever. Right. Um, 
And so I think the first step is being kind to yourself and forgiving yourself and like recognizing that, okay, actually my system and my subconscious are super smart and taking care of me. How can I fulfill this in a different way mm-hmm. than the goals that I have now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as humans, it's like, we're, I think we naturally have addictive tendencies, right? Like we, we, we are habitual, right? So it's like, we have an emotion attached to a thing. And it's so hard to break that because like you said, it is our subconscious, which is running like 80% of the show, right? It's like, it's, we can't, there's so much that we don't even have control over because it's just like in the background. And I love you with the mantras because, you know, I think people are, you know, mantras, affirmations, and you'll sometimes hear, you know, oh, I'm, I can't just like affirm my life into the positive, right? Like people get like frustrated about it or say, but at the same, on the same level, Yes, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm I'm amazing like five times in a row and then all of a sudden be like, "All right, that's it. I believe it. I'm amazing." But when you do it every single day, you are rewiring your subconscious to then believe because it's our thoughts and our actions lined up that create the subconscious, right? So I do believe like mantras and affirmations absolutely work. Maybe not in like a 5-minute chunk and that's it. You have to continue to do it, right? To really convince your subconscious that it's true. And then when it's, when you have that, con- you know, you've shifted your subconscious, then you can start taking aligned action because now you truly believe it, you know? And so I do, I do affirmations like every single day, every single time I notice my mind say something negative, like you can't do that. Instead, I'm like, how can I do this? How can I make this happen? I am worthy, right? So that eventually there's a time where I'll go to do something. And instead of being like anxious or like, oh my God, I can never do this. Be like, all right, we're going to figure this out. Let's push through and let's do it. Meditate afterwards, you know, like whatever it is. But like having those tools is so, so powerful. I've definitely stuck sticky notes that say things like you are worthy. (laughs) I love you. Mm. (laughs) You're beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My mantras that I sing are mostly mantras in Sanskrit. So mm-hmm. Om Namah Shivaya, things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, what I think is really interesting about those is that you can you can choose the energy that you're working with. Like each of these gods, I'm really fascinated by the mythology that is attached to the mantras and the different gods and goddesses like Shiva or Krishna or Vishnu or all of these different ones. And um they're archetypes. Like throughout all of history, we have told stories and there's these archetypes that we connect to because they awaken something that's true within us. So I don't know. I don't know if there's a goddess Durga like flying around in the Himalayas. Maybe, maybe not. But what I do know is that the goddess Durga helps me connect with an aspect of the divine by like putting a face on it. And she's a goddess of strength and courage. She's ferocious. She saves the world from evil demons. I could tell you so many stories. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know all the goddess stories. Um, And she's also, you know, a a loving mother. Like she's one of the goddesses I most connect with. Um, And that is within me. Like there's an aspect of the divine that's outside of me that I can call upon for help. But then there's also a part of me that is a warrior goddess that when I do those chants, it wakes that up inside of me. Or there might be another point in my life where I'm trying to remove obstacles and I work with Ganesha's energy. And so mm-hmm. every night I'm chanting Om Gam Ganapataye Namaha. And like I did that, for example, the way that I normally do it, and so I'll work in containers. So for like 40 days or 90 days, I will sing the same mantra 108 times every single night. 
And if I miss a day, then I have to start over. Those are the rules. <laughs> so, but like when I worked with Ganesha's energy, it was really transformative. He's known as the remover of obstacles. And he first, it brought up all the obstacles. Like I had so many problems that came up during that period was like, oh my gosh, this is a huge issue. Like, how is it possible that I've been ignoring this for all this time? It was stuff I didn't want to look at. And then... I was able to resolve everything. It was, it was a pretty transformational time. And what you said about the subconscious is super interesting because when you're chanting these mantras, like you go into a meditative state and I've chosen a mantra that has a specific vibration. Like they say Sanskrit is the language of the gods. It's a perfect language. It was not created by humans. It was given to us by divine beings. And every single syllable has a vibration that resonates within our, our souls and within our subconscious. And so you go into a meditative state and you're using this vibration to program your mind. It it trains your brain. And that is how we're able to make big changes because our subconscious is like, I mean, it's practically impenetrable. It's very, very difficult to retrain that part of our brains unless we go into these deep meditative states. So I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I'm somebody who talks a ton about manifestation. I wouldn't say that's really my niche, but I definitely feel like I've been able to change my life in massively positive ways through these practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I've studied Ayurveda and yoga philosophy a little bit, and I've always, I have, I have an ohm tattoo on the, on the back of my neck. And it was like one of the first tattoos I got. And I was just like, I was drawn to it, but I didn't quite understand why, you know, at the time I wasn't like super spiritual. I didn't really, I hadn't studied. Um, but then like, as I grew up, I'm like, no wonder. Cause like now I'm like so connected. And I studied, um, actually I would consider my first spiritual teacher on my journey. Um, he was a pranic healer, master Stephen Co. Um, but it was just, it was like dur- during the pandemic, you know, obviously he couldn't do any sort of in-person meditations. And then he just chose to do every single day, um, you know, uh, twin hearts meditation or healing the world meditation. And so we would sit there and chant, chant, you know, like, Oh, money, pod my home stuff, you know, things like that. And although like he would do like little, little lessons before we would meditate and chant. And so I completely resonate. There's just like a feeling, especially like when you are doing a meditation to like bless the world, it's like the amount of love that you feel. Cause it's not about you, but it's healing you in the same time, right? You're taking channeling the energy and like put, putting it towards the world and earth and it's just, yeah, it's absolutely, it's so beautiful. I want to go back. Oh, go, continue. Oh, good. No, I was gonna, <laughs> I was just going to say about Om. Mm-hmm. Um, om is the primordial vibration. And mm-hmm. it is a vibration. Like we are energetic beings. Like our hearts literally have a three to five foot radius where they are vibrating. Like our brain, we have brain waves. Like our, we go through different waves in order to be like awake and asleep and in deep meditative states. And we are energetic beings. And there is some sort of energy that is powering everything. Like if you think about the basic molecules, we have atoms. And when I was in school, they taught us that an atom was like a nucleus, a proton and an electron. And it was like, mm-hmm. Around and now there's even smaller things. I'm I'm not really neutrino. (laughs) Break those apart. But every time they break the the atoms apart even more, what they discover is that it's 99% just energy in motion, and the actual Mm -hmm. particles are like non-existent, and they keep breaking it down more and more and more, and they can't find any real stuff. The truth of the matter is we are just energy in motion, and there is something 
powering that. Like there's some force field that is beyond our technological understanding. And in my opinion, I call that the OM. Mm. And that's why when we chant OM and we chant these mantras and make these sounds and like our bodies plug into these vibrations, it connects with us on such a deep level because we are bringing ourselves into resonance with the all, with the universe, Mm -hmm. primordial vibration. Yeah. And I think like every religion, the beginning of the Bible and everything, right? It's like, and it began with the word, right? And the word is Om. If you are, you know, going through, you know, Hinduism or anything like that, but it's like, no matter what word you want to say, but it it is right. It's so powerful. And it is that energy and that vibration behind it. Before I get on any podcast interview, I meditate for like three minutes. And then I literally just like hum into the microphone just so that I can like feel it in. And I'm setting the intention and the container. Right. And I just, there's no, it just started doing it one day because like when I did it, I like felt my whole body, I had a reaction to it. So now I just like hum until I feel that like feeling. And then, you know, so I get on here like five minutes early and I just sit and like hum to myself, but like, but the intention being is that, that. yeah, it's just setting the container. So I, yeah, it is really, really powerful. And not only that, like our words are so powerful and I've been, you know, it's interesting when like, like just divine synchronicities, right? Like something comes into your like consciousness and then something else is sent and something else is sent, but it's like, I've just been really paying attention to words and what they mean and how we're using them. Right. Like even there's a podcast that's called good rising. And just because morning, right. Like good morning, it's like we're morning, like, you know what I mean? So it's just so right. I just never thought about that. Yeah. Because we just say it like, good morning, but it's like, what are you morning? Right. So it's like, you choosing our words differently because our words are very, very powerful. You know, the, the vibration of them, the intention behind them. I mean, I would have to like Google it, but there are so many words that we use in our every day that is very actually negative, right. That like holds like a really negative connotation. And we just don't think about it because that's just what we, what we are used to doing. So it's really interesting. And, and yeah, and using those words like Sanskrit words, right. And, and you can feel that you can feel the difference between that and just like saying it in English. It's really powerful. I am a language learner. So I live in Mexico and I actually have a degree in Spanish and I've lived in, I've been living in Spanish speaking countries now for seven years. If we Mm. count all the places I've lived and my Spanish is pretty good. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a big project. It's amazing to me how things shift. Like there's ways that you say things in Spanish that are so different than the way that you say things in English. And Mm -hmm. helped me be more conscientious of the words that I use and choose and even just the programming. Like when you learn a language, you kind of have more choice because it's like I'm the me I am. But I actually think with your native language, it's more programmed. Like I hear myself saying things that are just deeply ingrained in English. Mm -hmm. And then in Spanish, I feel like I'm a little bit more freeform and, and like conscientious even mm-hmm. because I've chosen my words more carefully. So yeah, that's really ways. interesting. I, so my dad's from Montreal. I spent like three or four years in Montreal when I was little. So I learned to read and write French before English. And then we moved to the States and I had to go to remedial English classes. And so they told my dad, like, you have to stop speaking to her in French because she doesn't understand English. And so I've literally like, I, I haven't lost it. It's in my mind somewhere, but because I wasn't speaking it daily, like I didn't really I, I can't carry a conversation, but I can understand a good chunk of French. And I took French through um, all through like high school. And then I went to college in Spain. So I was like learning Spanish 
but all, a lot of my friends were, were Moroccan. And so they spoke French. And so like just being in that, I picked up some Spanish, just picked up some French, but to your point, it's really interesting when I watch something in French or in Spanish and I understand the base of the words. And then I look at the subtitles. I'm like, that's not really what it means. You know, but there's no like actual mm-hmm. translation to like the actual English words. And I just think like, yeah, foreign languages, there's just so much more. Not that English is not beautiful because it is in its own right. Like, absolutely. I think there are absolutely beautiful English words. We just, I don't know. I feel like maybe there's more intention behind like the phrases, right? In a, in a foreign language or, or just the trend. It doesn't necessarily translate. And so like the way we look at it and pick it up is a little bit different, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I want to go back sort of to like the beginning of your story um, because it's really, it's, you know, what we learn, you know, in our first seven seven years, eight years is so powerful in just what we are, what we believe. Right. And, and that's what, you know, as you were talking, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, you were just told this from, from this age and there was no questioning of it. Right. Like you just took it on as an absolute truth. And yeah. So like there was no path to healing because that's not what you were, were taught. That's not, you were told. I try my daughter's 12, um, which is interesting. She, I could talk about that, but she, I didn't really come into my spirituality until she was about seven or I would say like seven, probably about that age. And, you know, I had divorced her father. I had gotten into an abusive relationship, divorced him. It was a whole thing. So I know she's taken on a lot of conditioning from who I was at that point. Um, you know, of course I did the best that I could with what I had, but I also didn't want her to really see and witness what I was going through. So I sent her to her room a lot. And I feel, you know, now trying to heal this, I I can see, um, but you know, like with my son, I feel like because he was one when I started healing, really, really doing my healing. So I always like urge him with everything. I'm like, ask questions, get curious, right? Don't take like what everybody says to be an absolute truth. Like in school last year in kindergarten, they would tell me like, he asked too many questions. He's, he's too inquisitive. Like, and I'm like, isn't that the point of school? <laughs> but they're like, he's respectful. He's never disrespectful to the teacher, but I'm just like, and so he came, he comes home and the teacher would like talk to me. And I'm just like, listen, bud, like ask questions. Don't let anybody tell you that you're supposed to sit there and not, and not ask or, or, you know, not argue What's the word I'm looking for. Just like, be curious, right? Not everything is, is the truth, but that was a complete side note. But I, you know, as you were telling your story, that's kind of what, you know, it is so powerful the way that we speak to kids. Right. And it is. And also on the flip side, I believe that, you know, as parents, you know, when I look at my daughter and how she was raised, I did the best that I could with what I had at the time. And it wasn't a lot. You know what I mean? She knows I love her. Like, absolutely. She knows I love her, but I see her now at 12 and things like that, where she she'll go a whole day. She won't eat breakfast. She won't eat lunch at school and she comes home and then she'll have ice cream. And she's like, mom, is this going to make me fat? I'm like, you know what I mean? So it's like, how can I, I'm just trying to work with her on that where it's like, let's eat healthier things. Let's make healthier choices, you know, because when you can tap into your body, you know, like you experience this, like getting off of all that stuff, you're able to actually fully embody, right. Who you, who you are and feel that. So I guess my question there is, is, you know, how, how was that? I mean, I, from your explanation, you know, I know how that progressed, but, um, I don't know. I lost my question. <laughs> I kind of went off on a tangent, but well, yeah. I have so much compassion for your daughter. Um, 
it, it's it's hard being like 12 years old. Mm-hmm. We just start, we start awakening and like becoming ourselves and we're so confused and all these hormones and just, it's such a difficult time. I, I, I like want to send her an energetic hug. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I think that it is a time where we're trying to establish ourselves and, and discover who we are. And unfortunately, one of the things that happened, um, when I look back at my childhood, it's taken me so long to understand this. My mom, because she had had such a terrible upbringing herself and she herself had struggled with all of these mental health issues, she kind of gave up on herself. She was just just like, I'm a lost cause. I don't want to deal with my own self. And she was young. My mom was 25 when she had me. She's like, I don't want to deal with my own self. I'm, uh, I'm just going to dedicate my entire life to raising my children different. Like I'm going to have the perfect children and that will be my life's work. And that's good. And so when I was born, my mom in like my mom, basically her whole life purpose was that I be perfect. Mm. And that was a huge weight for a child to carry around on her shoulders. Like, and to this day, my mom doesn't have much of a sense of herself. Like if you ask her, how are you? She'll be like, oh, well, your sister, blah, blah, blah. And your nephew, like she doesn't, she doesn't have anything that's hers. She has lived her entire life vicariously through her children, more or less. Mm-hmm. But that meant that she needed me to be what she wanted. Like if I wasn't behaving the way that she needed, like it would cause her to fall into these kind of psychotic episodes. And like when I tried to act out and say, you know, this this isn't okay and stopped eating, well, then that threw my mom into a gigantic depressive episode and you know, she was the one having the meltdown in my closet, right? Like Mm. it wasn't about me ever. Like I was, I was basically the channel for my mom working out her issues. Yeah. It was like you were, you were responsible for her emotions and her mental health. And so it's taken me a very long time to like know who I am. And I think part of what I had to break down was that it's okay for me to be Amber, like, Mm. because I grew up in this, on. I tried to use a Spanish word, ambiance, mm-hmm. <laughs> this atmosphere where um, <laughs> I was always, you know, trying to be what other people wanted me to be. And so when I would be in relationships, I was just trying to morph what, into whatever I thought the dude wanted me to be. Or, you know, if I was with friends, I was. And so I would end up with these like very controlling, big personalities who didn't see me. And and then I had this wound of like, no one sees me. And that was true as a child too. Like my parents didn't actually see Amber. I was their perfect daughter. I wasn't my own being. And, um, I mean, it is kind of sad. Like I, I haven't been able to maintain a, uh, healthy, happy relationship with my parents now. Like I've, I moved to another country. I just don't see them very often. And like we chat here and there and every now and then I go back to visit, but like the last few times since I've gone through my healing that I've gone back to visit my parents, it's like, I have a trauma response. I like my body shuts down and I get really sick and I just feel like I'm swimming through mud. I like can't even function. And so it is sad that I can't have a better relationship with them. And I, I do, am hopeful that like, you know, I'm still on my journey. I'm I'm in this place where I'm feeling significantly better and <laughs> offering like love and support and, and trying to start talking about the things that I've learned and share. Um, 
but I'm still growing myself. And so I hope that at some point in time I can have um, a more positive relationship with them, but it's, it's really fascinating. And I feel like every time something big happens and I get really triggered, I'm learning to go back to my childhood. Like I, I recently went through a heartbreak. I had a man who did not treat me very well. And it was, it really hit me hard. And as I went back, I was like, well, of course, you know, I keep picking these men who don't actually like me. And I have to like beg and plead for their approval and affection. Cause that's how I was shown love when I was a little girl, I was always in trouble. I was always begging and pleading my case, trying to like just the most minor things. Can I wear shorts today? You know, (laughs) like my parents, I couldn't even wear what I wanted to wear. I wasn't allowed to paint my fingernails any color except for pink. Like, (laughs) um, so I, I feel like as I'm, I continue to grow, it's like, okay, Little by little, I'm working to deprogram these things, but they're deep. Yeah, they absolutely are. And I know I had posted, um, I had interviewed somebody on insecure attachment styles and you had, you had commented that you were fearful avoidant. I am the same. And Sarah, who I was interviewing is also a fearful avoidant. And just knowing that understanding, like how that presents itself in my life was so powerful Was such like, just having that awareness, right. To like, kind of sit back and be like, okay this is what's happening, right? Like I can come back to here because I, re- I resonate so much, so much with that, with people pleasing and having to be, you know, what others wanted me to be. And then, yeah, being like, oh, well, nobody sees me, but it's like, I'm not even showing myself. Yeah. So, you know, as I've, my personal journey recently, as I'm dating, I'm just like, like, I'm just, it's hard, but it's also like, once I do it, it's so much more empowering. Just like, you know, if, if there's any red flags or if there's something that just in my body doesn't feel right, I'm just like, I'm cutting it off because it's like, I, I know myself and I could go another year or two, three years in this situation, but it's not me. And my body is like full on telling me now, because when I look back at my abusive relationships, absolutely. I knew like straight away that it was not, but that person was showing me love in a way that made sense to me because that's what I was shown as a child. So yeah, it's absolutely love looked like chaos and drama. I Mm -hmm. mean, one day, like things would be, I was the perfect child and we were like going camping and having a great time and playing in the woods. And then the next day I was getting spanked, you know, Mm -hmm. I I got spanked a lot when I was a little girl. And, um, I, I feel like that really sets you up for abusive relationships because especially with alcoholics and addicts, those are the most unpredictable people on the planet. Right. Mm -hmm. But that felt like love to me, like Mm -hmm. it being total chaos and not knowing what was going to happen, having to beg and plead for forgiveness all the time and always being in trouble. Like that is super comfortable for me. And it's so interesting. This, I recently had an experience where I, I mentioned, I got my heart broken and like just the day before he and I started a thing, there was, there was this very nice man who I met who really liked me. And he was like calling me every day and sending me messages and like, you're so lovely, Amber. And I could not get excited about that guy. Mm. I just was not attracted to him. And it was so interesting to me. And I was really into this other guy who acted like I didn't matter and didn't call me back and like activated your nervous system, which felt comfortable. So I don't know how to totally fix this, right? Yeah. (laughs) Here I am. I'm in it, sister. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I'm with like, time, I want to like, how do I get there? <laughs> yeah. I think with time and practice and trusting yourself, because I, yeah, I've definitely, I resonate so strongly with that. Like there is somebody that I am like currently dating that is attractive, is so kind. It's just like everything like is respectful where I'll be like, I'll voice in a, something where in the other people would either gaslight me or like turn it back or ignore me, you know, but this person is just kind of like, okay, like, how do you want to proceed? Like an actual like conversation, but same thing. I don't feel my nervous system activated. So I'm like, is this like, am I not attracted? Like he's an attractive guy, but it's interesting. I'm noticing these things and I'm pushing through it because it's like, I made a list. Right. And there's so many things like respect, honesty, communication, you know, kindness, all of these things are, are in this person, but because my whole system isn't like in chaos. I'm just kind of like, Hmm, you know, like it's interesting. It really is because that is, it's like, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel good, but it feels comfortable. Right. And I think I got to the point I dated somebody for like two years that just would not was, is, is a, I still have this person in my life and he's a good person, but for whatever reasons, when we talk about, uh, insecure attachment styles, I'm fearful avoidant. 100% believe he's dismissive avoidant. So for me, it's like I turned into the anxious side and then, the, and then he pushes away. But I did this for two years because my nervous system was continually activated, right? Fortunately, this mm. person wasn't abusive, which I believe was my literally, and I've said this I, when I was talking to Sarah, but it's like, this person was sent to me to help me heal. Even though it felt chaotic and even though it felt painful, it was healthy in the sense where there was no manipulation, there was no abuse, there was no that that side of things. There was just and not even disinterest, but that he had his own issues, right? So I do mm-hmm. believe like as you continue to work through it, as you start noticing those signs, as you start like, you know, for me, it's like if I feel that nervous system activation, if I feel that like, oh my gosh, I have to like text this person right now and understand like why they're not, you know, like why did they take too long or to respond or things like th- that, that get us all like crazy in our head. And then we're just like, our whole system's put off. I will literally like, I'll tap, I'll go in meditation and just mm-hmm. kind of like come back to myself and remind myself, like, you know, like I am worthy. Whoever is meant to be in my life is out there looking for me too, right? Like, there is, this is not the end all be all. This person does not have all the qualities I'm looking for. And, and I too think the other person, the one that I dated for a couple of years that I was just like crazy over. I also told myself, I'm like, if I could get over him, I can get over anybody, <laughs> you know, because like, so it's just like little things, right? Like, I just, I truly do believe like, as you continue just connecting and working through it, like you will get there and it'll, it, every, every person, and it's not to say that you have to go through 10 more guys to find the one. Right. But like, I do believe it does get easier and you do notice like the healthy things that almost repel you. Right. Mm-hmm. Start, you start to notice like, Oh, that's actually the way it's supposed to be. You know, like I don't have to be like, so, you know, activated about it or, or disinterested. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think I'm making progress. Like the last relationship I was in was not abusive. I mean, it wasn't a perfect relationship. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out, but it was a healing relationship and yes. he's a really lovely, sweet person. And, um, now at least I see it. Like mm-hmm. I mean, and like the, the relationship that just fell apart, it fell apart fast. Like I saw the problems and it exploded yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm like, it didn't turn into a, you know, lengthy drawn out affair. Like you were mentioning, mm-hmm. it was like something that crashed and burned quickly. Yeah. So I definitely think that little baby steps and, yeah. and seeing it and being aware of our own dysfunction is like a huge step and, and 
putting it out there and, and creating and vocalizing the desire to be in a healthy relationship with a healthy person, like you making a list like that. I think that that is so powerful because now there's that intention and you're able to cross check your intention with, you know, regardless of what your nervous system is doing, like, okay, here's my list. Like, does this check out with what I have declared I am going to call in? And if it, if it's not aligning and if it's like hitting the red flags, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself and protect myself because we have to create trust in our own selves, especially for someone who is a disorganized attachment style kind of person, right? Like I need to be able to trust my own self that at the very least, Amber, I have my own back. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that if there's a problem, I'm going to end things and, and protect myself. So little by little, poco, poco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's all we can do. You know, it's just like day by day, moment by moment, being learning the tools to like be present in this moment and not so much worry about, you know, what's coming or what's happened and just kind of like, that practicing non-attachment. Right. And yeah, that's what I do with the list and, and and things like that. Like I had a moment, um, after I like first was intimate with this person where I felt like I was just like, then I started feeling that like creep of it, but I was just like, nothing's changed. Right. Like, cause I think sometimes like there's behaviors that change or, or things. And I realized I was, I was creating my own drama, but I was just like, it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just coming back to myself and remembering like, you know, all those things. Um, I also really love that you mentioned using EFT tapping. Mm. I personally think like I, I, I group energy work into two categories, basically the two ways that you can use it. Like there's the daily practice, which I feel like is absolutely essential to be able to be training our brains. So having something that you do every single day or like close to every day, I mean, don't have to be Nazis here and not if you miss a day, okay. But <laughs> things that you do as regularly as possible. Um, like meditation. And I feel like like meditation, doing mantras, breath work, yoga are all really good for that. But then there's also the crisis coping techniques. Like when something happens and now you're totally activated and freaking out, what do you do? And mm-hmm. tapping is one of my favorite go-tos. I, I can't tell you how many times I've like snuck out of a room and gone to the bathroom and sat on the edge of the toilet and been like, okay, <laughs> no, I'm feeling like I'm going to explode it is okay. <laughs> Love, accept, respect, and forgive myself. And Amber, I've got your back. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That that kind of dialogue is is really powerful. Um, I also think breathwork is the other one that mm. is really helpful. Whether it's you know doing some sort of fancy breath work, like alternate nostril breathing, um, or box breathing, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or taking a deep breath. I I think everyone knows that if you take a deep breath, you'll feel better, but it's hard to get there sometimes. Like when I am really activated and I'm upset, sometimes I'm successful and sometimes not. And then that's part of the journey as well, right? Like sometimes I get so upset that I can't calm myself down and I can't sit down and I can't go hide in the bathroom. But then Little by little, more and more, I do choose to calm myself down in a productive way. And so I think that's really the journey. The healing journey is like, okay, I have all of these tools now. And 
we have to fall down and pick ourselves back up over and over and over again. Like I, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've slipped back into old bad behaviors or, and I hate using the word bad, but old dysfunctional, disruptive, harmful behaviors. And then been like, okay, well, I, I drank yesterday or I did this or I screamed at someone or I, you know, fled the party without saying goodbye. <laughs> and that's okay. Amber, I deeply love, accept, respect, and forgive you. And we're just going to do tomorrow. Like I've got today, I've got right now. doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Like I can pick myself up from here. Um, and I, I'm still doing that, but like the percentage is getting better. Mm-hmm. I feel like more and more times now where I'm able to put into practice these energy work techniques and help myself out. And then on those days where I do fail, I feel like energy work is so helpful as well because now I'm trying to pick myself up off the ground and get back on track and having these like daily practices where I can go to a yoga class and I'm like, okay, I'm going to just really practice self-care today. I'm going to go to yoga. I'm going to do breath work. I'm going to write in my diary and my journal and try and hash out what happened here. Like it helps me calm down and realign and just get back um, into the state that and the vibration that I want to be living in and that I'm choosing to be living in. And so I don't know, these, these techniques are really powerful. They, they give us so much choice. Like I get to, instead of being a victim of my own crazy, which was the way I felt for years and years, I now get to choose my state every day. And I do have control. Like I do get to pick if I'm a hot mess or if I am a centered, aligned, mm-hmm. <laughs> calm yogi. Yeah. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, it's doing these practices, not only when we're at a rock bottom, but every single day, you know, cause it's mm-hmm. like we hit those lows and we drop to our knees and we pray to God to like help us. And he does, she does source does universe does whatever terminology you want to use. Right. But it's like, why do we not think that just like on a regular happy day, if we send up a prayer or like have gratitude or put these practices into place, like EFT meditation, like all these things, why we wouldn't be responded to right? Because it's the big things and the little things. And I think it also gives us the tools that when we do hit that rock bottom, when we do feel emotionally activated and all those things, then it's just quicker that we can come to these practices and move through it, right? And it's not avoidance of of the issue. I think it allows us to allow it to come up in a way that it never did before, because now we have confidence that we can process it in a healthy way. And it's not going to cripple us for days, or we're not going to be feel fearful of what that anger feels like, or what that sadness feels like. Right. It's like, we can feel it in its entirety, but then know that we can also come back to this, this place of like alignment. 100%. What you just said is so important that we're not running from our feelings. Like these practices are not just, Oh, we're going to raise our vibration and everything's Mm -hmm. super happy. Good vibes only. Like that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I actually think one of the biggest causes of mental health illness, especially like depression and anxiety is running away from ourselves, running away from our feelings, trying to pretend that everything's okay when it's not. That for me was a huge thing. I was just not living an aligned life. I was not, I was not listening to my own self. I was not living in coherence and congruence with who I am. Um, And getting to the place that I am now has meant I have laid on the floor weeping. Like I've had to 
get really angry and fall apart and cry. Like my panic attacks, I suffered from hyperventilating panic attacks for years and years and years. I mentioned earlier that I did this shamanic training program. The first time that I breathed through a panic attack was actually at that yoga retreat Hmm. that I mentioned where I started having really bad ones. And one morning I like left the yoga shala and I was just like, (gasps) you know, couldn't breathe. And one of the teachers sat with me and she was like, you can do this. Just breathe with me. And it was the first time that instead of taking, you know, a bunch of clonopin to try and calm myself down and zone out, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. And I, I sat and I breathed with her and eventually it did pass. And I was pretty rattled and shaken up, but it was really like brand new wow information for me. Like, oh, my God, this is possible. It is possible for me to get through a panic attack without it being this bad. And from that point on, I started trying to breathe through panic attacks and it didn't happen just like I was talking about, like not every time was I successful, but slowly the balance began to tip. Like I was able to get you know, breathe myself off the ledge in more of them and take meds in less of them. And like, poco poco, eventually Mm -hmm. I wasn't having them very often. And then I went through that shamanic program and we worked with intentional cathartic states quite a few times where we went into like a state where we were like screaming and kind of, um, moving energy through our body on a very, very physical level, uh, which I think a lot of people would call like somatic movement or, or somatic work. And there's, I think in the United States, there's different ways that that's called, but it's something that I see come up quite, quite a bit. Like sometimes we need to yell and scream and, you know, kind of fight it out. And (laughs) it's good for our bodies, like to be able to pull on someone. And so I, I went into this, Um, as part of a a contained exercise, I went into this cathartic state and I started hyperventilating and I had someone that was like there with me, who was like holding me as I was hyperventilating. And instead of trying to stop it, like for the first time in my entire life, I was like, I'm going to just go all in. I am going to fully feel this. And that day, like he literally braced his feet against mine and I braced my hands against him his, and I pulled with all of my might and I screamed until I didn't have a voice. And like, after that day, I lost my voice for days. It was really a, a um, transformative experience for me. But that was the last time that I had a panic attack. Like mm. I needed to, like I, I out. Been, yeah, like I had been calming myself down kind of, but it was like, I still just needed to get out that last mm. bit. And even, even now, like I will feel myself sometimes I was in a Temescal just last weekend and it was really, really hot. And like the air was so thick that you could just chew on it. And I started to be like, oh, can't breathe, you know, and I am. Um, do you ever do butterfly breath for you? Like, mm-hmm. I did EMDR therapy for a couple of years. And so that was one of the techniques that, you know, when I would travel or get on a plane, they, they taught me. Yeah. Yeah. So I started doing mm-hmm. that in Temescal and breathing. I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> and I was, I was okay. It was just yeah. fine. But, uh, I do think that sometimes we need to like really get it out. We, we, we have to feel these mm-hmm. things. They don't just disappear. Yeah. And like in miscarriage, for example, I had to cry and weep and be deeply sad. Like I spent a couple months being really sad, but because I did that, it's not stuck in me now. Like I'm able to talk about that 
and be fine mm-hmm. because I felt it fully. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially with that as women, we're just taught that, you know, move on or there's not, I feel like it's not talked about that much. Right. And, and yeah. And I think, you know, especially with, with the panic attacks, right. You had spent like years having the colonopin be the thing that like calms you down or, or stops it, like you said, right. And to fully be able to express that is, is why you stopped having them. Right. I mean, that was, yeah, it's so powerful. Do you know your human design? I am a manifesting generator. Manifesting generator. Do you know what your profile is? Like there's a number, like a six, like a one, three, or I feel like you have a third line in there somewhere, but I, that's my question. Also the, I just know that I'm, um, universal love. Okay. Is my cross like that Mm -hmm. one, which I really love because I feel like singing mantras makes me feel like I am universal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah. I think it's one three, but I can't. Okay. That's correct. I would have to grab my chart. I think I've got it actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think human design is really fascinating and I'm really, really fascinated by astrology. Mm. I connect to all of that. Mm. Okay. I got it here. Okay. So yeah, I'm a one three. One three. Okay. I knew there was a third line because that third line is very, it's, it, it is very chaotic in the first 30 years of your life. I'm a six three. So I went through my first 30 years as a three three, which is like complete chaos, right? It's failure, it's trial and error, it's bonds made and broken. And it is like that third line can be like, I know as like as like a six three specifically, it's like there is a lot of like addiction patterns in there because you're just trialing and erring everything, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and for you having that third line as unconscious, it's like your body is just going through these like these this failure and this trial and error and this just like this chaos. And so you, as you were describing your twenties, you had used that word a couple of times, and I was like, she's got to have a third line. She's got to have like a three in her profile somewhere <laughs> because. I like resonate so strongly to that. It's like, um, but as far as astrology too, do you know your sun, moon rising? So I'm a Pisces sun, a Virgo rising. Today is the Pisces full moon. Yes, it is in Virgo. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely felt a little dreamy. Um, And then I've got a Gemini moon. So I'm three mutable Mm. signs, which is chaotic. And Gemini, especially a Gemini moon is very indicative of mental health Mm. and kind of crazy. Yeah. My son has a Gemini moon. And so I, I noticed like with him, he'll like one minute be like, you know, hitting things and being mad. The next minute he's just like, wants to cuddle and just in very inquisitive and curious. And yeah, there's a lot. And Gemini moons have a hard time, like actually processing their emotions, right? Because it is, you, you view it on like an analytical level where it's like, I see it, but I don't actually want to feel it. Right. I want to like mentally make it make sense, but I don't want to like process through what's going on. And so like with him, I see that happening. Um, and so I just urge him, you know, and, and, and anyone with the Gemini moon, right. It's like allowing yourself to go there, but also like understanding who you are and having compassion for that. Because, you know, I think all these tools, that's why, you know, trying all these different tools and finding what works for you because tapping may work for me and it may work for you, but there may be somebody listening that has tried tapping over and over and it's just not working for them. Right. Well then move on and and find another tool that does work for you. And I think, you know, it goes with those that human design astrology, right. It's all tools to support you. Um, but I just think it's so beautiful in how it really presents in our life, but yeah. And there's (laughs) so many other things like dancing, any kind Mm -hmm. of your body is amazing. Also 
art. One of the most amazing things that I think that we can do with our darkness and our sadness and our pain is to make art out of mm-hmm. it. Like my um my brand that I'm creating for Mental Health Rebels, I create these really funky collages, but I've always made collages. I, I find collage art to be really healing and exciting and like pulling together different images that that represent my emotions and the sentiment that I'm trying to express. I find that to be healing. I think writing is really mm-hmm. healing singing, using your voice. I mean, our throat chakra is so powerful. That's where we manifest from yeah. and, and call things in and say no to things. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, um, anything using your voice. So I agree with you. There's no one, this isn't like one solution just because I like mantras doesn't mean that that's what's going to connect with other people. And, mm-hmm. and when I work with people, that's really important to me. Like figuring out the kind of energy work that works for them for both the daily practice and for crisis coping techniques. And I even think men and women, like chanting mantras is a really active kind of feminine form of meditation, whereas Mm -hmm. straight, like clearing your mind kind of meditation, that's a much more masculine focused practice. Um, And so I would even recommend different things based on whether or not I was working with a man versus a woman. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I do, I I used to sit in meditation in that very like structured masculine way. And when I started switching it up and just incorporating more like feminine aspects to it. And I, I, I have, I feel like I've lived my life in a very masculine way as we're so much taught. Right. And then Mm -hmm. just allowing that like soft feminine energy to come in has been, it's, it's been incredible. Like it feel, it was really awkward at first. Cause I was like, I'm not feminine like that. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't wear dresses and da, 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 whatever. And like, as I'm just kind of like leaning into that, like now, like wearing, going out in a sundress, like it just makes me feel good and just right. And it just like allows you to like kind of embody that energy. So yeah, finding things that balance out. And like, maybe you have one, like my workouts, you had mentioned working out earlier. I feel like my workouts are very, very masculine, right? I, I run, I lift weights, I do all these things. And then incorporating some gentle movement. Like I, I used to do a lot more yoga. I don't right now. I need to get back to it because I just feel like I don't have to necessarily get like a workout in, in yoga, but it's still like so impactful on your body. So yeah, I love that. What would you <laughs> tell your 12 year old self? Gosh, I would tell her that she's just not broken. There's nothing wrong with her that, that you, you are perfect and precious as you are. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would have believed me though. Mm -hmm. Sad, but true. Yeah. Um, It's hard to think about stuff like that because if I could go back and talk to my 12 year old self and she did something different, then maybe my story would be different. And I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be here, this woman talking to you right now. And despite the fact that my life has been, it's been painful to get to be the Amber I am today. It's been my journey. Like I wouldn't have the medicine to offer other people that I now have if I didn't go through all of that. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be able to talk to people about mental health meds if I hadn't had so many failed frustrating experience, experiences and experiments my own self. And even with my parents, like one of the most healing things for me has been to just realize, you know, my soul picked those people because they have the exact lessons that I needed to learn in this lifetime. Like I, my destiny, part of 
what I came to this earth, this planet, what I came to do in this lifetime was to live through all that suffering. And so I needed those people to help me do it. Um, and so even though it's, it's messy and it's difficult, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is supposed to be. And that's how it happened. And I accept it and I embrace it and I'm grateful for it. So I don't know, maybe I would just like go back in time and like wrap my arms around my 12 year old self and hold Mm. her and be like, no matter what, you're going to come out the other side, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people like you and, and, energy workers that have gone through these things and and you can tell listening to your story, there were points in your story that were divinely led, whether you realize it at the, at the time or not, right. That that have gotten you through. And I absolutely believe that. I think that all the time I'm like, I chose this life to have these lessons, to be able to come here now, you know, and, and be able to help change the world because you have to go through the darkness to come out on the other side and and help and guide and inspire others. So I thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing your story. And yeah, just like just your energy and your wisdom and everything. It's been a beautiful conversation. And if you want to let the listeners know where they can find you and how they can work with you, I'll link it all in the show notes. Um, but yeah, if you just want to let them know. Amazing. So I have a company called Mental Health Rebels and you can go to mentalhealthrebels.com. I offer free consultations for coaching. Currently I have an offer to do one-on-one coaching. And then I also have a Instagram account, Mental Health Rebels, at Mental Health Rebels. That's also my Facebook. And I think my Twitter is mh-rebels. And so yeah, find me on on social media, follow me, talk to me. I love hearing from humans. (laughs) And I would love to work with any of you if you're interested. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Of course.